guys? How dare you? First of all, listen. <laughs> I was actually practicing today because practice is helpful. Sorry, I wasn't ready for that. Um, and I thought, man, I, I did a tangent in my practice. Legitimately did, and I thought, I should have someone just for the start of 2021, all right, who's my person that's going to tally in their, in their journal notebook? All right, tangent number one, here we go. And we're going to count them out through the spring. Please don't do that, because I know someone's going to do it, and then they're going to come up to me and say, man, look how many tangents you had this spring, and I'm going to get angry at myself. <laughs> um, man, welcome back. I'm, I'm, oh, I'm more than excited to be able to be here again, to gather again, to worship again. It's been said a hundred times, but we can't say it enough, Welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you transferred to SDSU and this is your first time at Oasis, welcome. If you've been here for a couple years and you're just coming back and you know like, all right, spring kickoff, this is fun, we're excited, we're ready, welcome. If it's your last semester and you know you're moving on, whether it's graduating from undergrad, graduate school, you're a young adult going to the next season, next job of your life, welcome. There are a lot of things still. First time here, 20th time here, 100th time here, a lot of things still that God desires to see have happen in your life, in this church, in this ministry, on our campus and in our community. He desires you to do it because he's not done. Amen? Oh, I need something, guys. Oh, it's, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm pressing into it tonight, so get ready. Um, as some of you know, so I, my name's Ben. If, you're new. Welcome. <laughs> um, college Young Adult Pastor here at Grace Point Oasis is our college young adult arm of Grace Point Church. This whole thing is Grace Point Church. We're incredibly, I mean, just I'm proud and excited and thankful to be a part of just what God is doing in this church. If you don't know anything about me, here's something that I'm going to tell you. It's not the most important thing, but I joked around with my wife that it's like unfortunately too high on my list of priorities. I am a Minnesota Vikings fan. Yep, the cheers and the booze and the, all the things. Yep, okay. I've been a Minnesota Vikings fan for as long as I can remember. In 2016, which now is five years ago, I literally practiced it saying four years ago. Five years ago, the coach of the Minnesota Vikings, his name is Mike Zimmer. I personally like Mike Zimmer. He's a no-nonsense, hardcore challenge, he'll press you and push you to your max kind of guy. He doesn't take crap from no one. I like Mike Zimmer. It's unfortunately sometimes kind of how I parent, especially my daughter Alice. <laughs> we, had, we got some stories coming later this semester too, by the way, get ready. But he's just a no-nonsense guy. In 2016, the Vikings started 5-0. I mean, I, I already always have high expectations for the Minnesota Vikings and always get crushed. So like, I have expi high expectations and high aspirations, but also at the same time, like, know I'm going to get hurt. Like, have you ever been in, an, in a relationship with someone's like, yeah, you know, this is good. There's aspects of this that are really good, but also I know, like, this person's terrible. <laughs> That's my relationship with the Vikings. <laughs> uh, number one, that was it. That was number one. <laughs> this story legitimately is a part of my sermon, though. 5-0 going into the bye week. They have two weeks off until their next game before they play the Philadelphia Eagles, which boo, hiss, all the things. And Mike, and, and, and it got blamed and put on Mike Zimmer, but someone cut up and like killed a bunch of stuffed cats and put him in the locker room of the Minnesota Vikings. Not kidding. Put him in the locker room 
and put like food color, red food coloring on them. And then there was this one huge stuffed cat in the middle of the room covered in fake blood and the sign said, fat cats get slaughtered. Super aggressive. Super aggressive. Mike Zimmer knew, and again, Mike Zimmer gets blamed. He came out and said he didn't do it. He 100% did it. Mike Zimmer knew that once you got comfortable, once his team got comfortable, they weren't going to work as hard. They weren't going to get pressed in. They were going to get all fat and happy and comfortable with being 5-0 and and not work anymore. He knew it. He just knew it. I know what they're going to do. I know my players. Good coach knows his players. They come out and just lay an absolute stinker against the Philadelphia Eagles and lose because they were comfortable. They didn't want to work and move forward in the things that they needed to do to have a successful game or a successful season. They got comfortable. What I've noticed in the church, I've, it's happened in my life, and everything, I think every single one of us can relate to this, is our Christianity has become comfortable. Like, even if you grew up in the church, you rec- like, you, we call ourselves Christians. But the reality is that this isn't necessarily a bad thing, so I hope it doesn't get taken wrong. A Christian, being called a Christian is a bad, it's easy to actually become a Christian. I'm going to say it again. It's easy to become a Christian because if you've grown up in church, you heard it said, just, I've said this, to become a Christian, here's what you got to do. You got to recognize that you're a sinful person, that God sent his son, Jesus, who is also God down, and he lived the perfect life that you couldn't live. He died a death that you deserved to die because of your sin on the cross. And if you repent, meaning turning away from your sin, saying, I'm going to run towards Jesus, repent of your sin and trust Jesus for salvation, you're a Christian. That, like, that's it. It's easy to become a Christian. But when we read the Gospels and we see the letters of Paul in the New Testament, there's only three times that the word Christian is used in the New Testament. We have defined Christianity in such a way that we've allowed it to be a Christian to be comfortable. We become fat cats. I regretted it as soon as I said it. I thought about it, and here's why I'm, I might call you guys fat cats a couple times, and I, and I apologize. I'm apologizing in advance, but here's what's going to happen. In 10 years, one of you guys is going to have a conversation with a colleague, or maybe you have a kid by then. I don't know, a spouse, whatever it is. You say, yeah, I got this psycho young adult college pastor who at one time, could, just the whole night, kept calling us fat cats. But we become comfortable. Because we define what it looks like to be a Christian. So the first time that Christian is used is in the book of Acts. If you were with us last semester, we had this series called the Mosaic Series. We went through the Gospels and we learned that Luke wrote Luke. He was a doctor, but he also wrote Acts. And it says this. It says, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Say that a hundred times fast. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And you look at that and we see it's like, oh, that's nice. They're called Christians. At this time and in this season, Christian was a a derogatory term. They didn't call themselves Christians. It was like, and I'm going to date myself. Anyone seen um, 
like 10, 10 things I hate about you. Is, am I too old? Right? We've seen a little bit. Mean Girls, something like that. These classic 90s and early 2000s like teenage rom-coms where every single time either walking into the school or at the, at, in the lunchroom, you get a glimpse of like, okay, here are all the weird little sex and cults and things. That's like, all right, all right. They, the geeks and the nerds. I didn't say sex. I said sex. S-E-C-T-S, Brennan. <laughs> Number two, someone tally it up. It's like, all right, here's where the, where the techie guys and then they're the computer guys. And, like, and it's like, especially in the early like, those movies, like you always made fun of the nerds. Like, I hope my son's a nerd. He's going to be successful. And it's like, this is where the athletes eat and this is where the cheerleaders eat and all the things. And this is what that was like. It was a derogatory term meant for, oh, hey, those are those Christians. And as we read the New Testament and as we read the Gospels, and, and Jesus as he teaches, and Paul as he writes letters to the churches that were planted, that he planted, we see no definition of what it means to be a Christian. And so we've created our own definition, and we've made it to become easy and comfortable. And, and, and tonight as I talk, I don't want us to focus on title, like I'm a Christian, or I'm a Jesus follower, or I'm a disciple, or I'm a son or daughter of the king. I just want us to recognize that we have a problem in the church and I have a problem in my soul because there are aspects of my life that are too comfortable. But when we read the scripture, we can see multiple times as Jesus talks to his disciples. In Luke 14, he says, and any one of you who does not give up everything cannot be my disciple. In Matthew 10, whoever loves father or mother more than me or brother or sister more than me is not worthy of me. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. Paul says in Philippians, whatever gain I had, he had reputation, he had authority before he became a Christian. He said, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. When we read the scriptures, we get a different image of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, to be a Christian than what I see now today in my own heart. I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm, I'm talking to you guys. I see comfortability. And when I read stuff like that, it's the opposite of comfortability. C.S. Lewis even said, he said, you see, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port, which is like really fancy, kind of nice wine, would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, he says, I don't recommend Christianity. But we've made it comfortable. It's too easy. And here's one of the reasons I think that is. In every generation, I mean, going back, I think 2,000 years, we've had the battle of trying to figure out what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, knowing that the culture's desires and priorities are different than what Jesus is asking for in his life. So we've had this battle to try to figure out how, do I, how, do I, how am I a follower of Jesus in the midst of the, of the culture that I live in. And the culture is trying to do everything it can to make like, life easy and comfortable. And here, here's what comfortable is, just so we know. Comfortable is pursuing things that make my life convenient, comfortable, and free from hardship. I didn't mean to use comfortable to define comfortable. 
That's supposed to be controlled. <laughs> Don't know how that happened. If I want a comfortable life, I'm gonna pursue the things that are convenient, that I can control, and that are free from hardship. And the culture pushes in this. Here, we're gonna throw up some images. I don't know if they're gonna be on the side of the back. Can you throw up the first image? And so we make things that help us make life easier. I'm 100% getting one of these for Otis, who's my six month old. The problem is he's such a tank that he can't even like, he's supposed to be sitting up right now. He can't even sit up. He's so big and I love it. Like the, the guy's gonna be able to beat up everyone in our household within the next year. But how can I make my life convenient? Right, let's just put, let's put a, a little onesie on a baby that has a mop on the bottom that we never have to mop the floor. This, these are, everything I'm showing is a real thing that you can buy online. All right, next one. This is actually legit. Like some of these things I'm not just gonna bash. Like my family's got hair. Oh, we got hair. We have three of these combs and every other week I'm, I'm looking at the comb and I'm pulling out all the hair because it's not just my wife. It's me, it's my daughter, it's, it's, my, it's my wife. And we're pulling this hair. This thing makes it, that, look how easy that is. Anybody understand the issue that I'm having with the hair and the brush? Am I alone in this? Thank the Lord. Right? Pushing into comfortability. What's convenient? How can I control life free from hardship? Next. <laughs> this is brilliant. I just, is brilliant. It's brilliant. I'm going to share, I'm going to get a little intimate with you guys because that's how I roll. I, I'm, I'm going to do it. <laughs> he knows where I'm going. You're going to hear me, if you know, if you can hang out with me a little bit at all, you hear me say this. There are seven signs of life. If you're, and no signs, there are seven signs of life and one of those is excretion. And the excretion means you're getting rid of the junk and you need to get rid of the junk that's in your body in order to continue living. I go to the bathroom three times a day on average and not number one. Three times. It's just normal for me. Some people think I have a problem. I think it's healthy. <laughs> Whatever. I don't know. And so today, oh man, it's not horrible, but today I literally go into, I don't even know what I'm saying, the bathroom over here. And I'm like, I like to prep and get ready for preaching. I literally will walk around the church with my iPad and just kind of read points. And okay, is that a good point? I'll pray over the point. I just, I'm a walker. I don't know why I'm a walker. There's something with me that I can't stand still. It's a little bit of a problem, but that's okay. I feel bad for the camera people every single Sunday, but I'm a walker. So I'm walking and all of a sudden the third time had to happen. It's like, all right, I'll just go to the bathroom and keep reading my sermon and prepping. So I go back here and I go to the bathroom and I'm sitting here and I know this is happening. And I thought, man, I should get one of these just for the church. <laughs> Again, all these things aren't bad. Convenient. Next. This, this one's good. This is brilliant. <laughs> so, I want to control my life. I, got, I bought these new shoes. I can't get them wet, so I made an umbrella with shoes. I don't get that one. I'm, I don't understand that one. The fan in the noodles thing is brilliant, but also at the same time, wait two minutes to eat your food. Like, what are you doing? It's not like, we want to fat, comfortable, convenient, controlled, free of hardship. The butter stick thing on the bread, I, I'm not not a fan. <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, okay. It would make mornings at our house incredibly easy. The problem is that I would give the stick of butter to Wesley and he would butter his toast and be brilliant and he'd be really good at it somehow better than me, but it's just buttering toast, so it doesn't matter. And then he'd eat the toast and then he'd give the butter chapstick to Alice and she would do one of two, maybe three things, but I'm gonna just share two. One of two things. One, she would roll it all out, the chapstick, and then 
as fast as she could, because she's her father, or she would roll it and just eat it. And it would be horrifying. But it's like this, we, we want convenience. Is there another one? I think that's the last one. I'm, oh, no. I thought, oh. I don't get this one. Sitting on a bike is so hard. It's so difficult that he had to get harnessed. How is that any more comfortable? Literally, this was on the list of things that you can buy to make your life easier. He's literally, it's a backpack bike. Is That's what that is. There's no, he's running. <laughs> Running's like the worst. It's not the worst. I don't, I'm not good at it. That's why I say it's the worst. If you like running, I'm more power to you. <sighs> this one made, that made me so angry. Jackson, you're the best. Thank you, sir. Um, but it's become a cultural norm for us to seek comfort. I want to control the things in my life. I want it to be convenient and I want to be free from hardship. So we've allowed that to seep into the church and into the church culture because comfort seeking is our default mode in a consumeristic society. In an individualistic and consumeristic society, we are going to default to seeking comfort, to being convenient, to wanting to be in control. So what does this look like in the church? Excuse me. Sorry, I just burped. That was aggressive. I don't, even, I don't know what's going on. Comfortability as a Christian in the church. He's going to throw up a picture. It's kind of a picture. It just has seven statements. And we're going to walk through this. Here's how you know. Here's how to tell if your faith is comfortable, too comfortable. Number one, you don't ask questions about your faith. When you think about the... the the tenets, the beliefs of our Christian faith. Like, our Savior was born of a virgin. That's insane. And when you think about it, have you ever tried to explain or even fully comprehend the Trinity? So here's, we believe, we are a monotheistic religion, meaning we believe in one God, but that one God is three persons. I've had multiple conversations trying to explain the Trinity, and I'm like, I'm messing it up, and I'm saying, yeah, you know, no, it's, it's one God, and we have three persons that we believe are all God, but it's the one God, it's that same essence. They're not different gods, but they're distinct from each other. So, like, oh, so you have three gods. No, 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 it's one, it's one but, but there's three people. Have you heard the fire analogy? Or there's a water one, too. I could, like, the, some of the beliefs that we have, we cannot fully comprehend. The reality that the creator of the universe, someone who is omniscient everywhere and all-powerful, created you to be in relationship with you should blow your mind. If your faith is too comfortable, you're not asking questions. And to me, that equates that we don't want to know more. We don't want to relentlessly pursue intimacy with the Father, becoming more like Jesus. We don't ask questions. Number two, your friends, your family, coworkers, are or would be surprised that you go to church. Do you have people in your life, when they see you, that don't know if you go to church or not, that don't know if faith is a priority for you? A comfortable Christian is one who easily blends in, looking and talking and acting just like his or her lost neighbors, friends, and family. Number three, if your faith is to go for you never feel challenged, only affirmed. 
You never feel challenged, only affirmed. What's amazing about our faith is we have a God that doesn't just meet us where we're at. That doesn't just say, you know, I don't care. That's not, that's not a good way to say it. He cares, but it doesn't matter what you struggle with. It doesn't matter the sin that you're wrestling with. It doesn't matter what you're going through. What matters is that I love you and I desire to be in relationship with you. So come, you're invited into my presence. I want to know you and I want you to know me. That's super affirming, but he doesn't just leave us there. God is incredible at inviting us into relationship, but also challenging us to change. Challenging, (laughs) can't speak, challenging us to get rid of the things in our life that are not of him, that are holding us back from being ultimately the sons and the daughters of God that he intended for us to be. Number four, there's no friction between your Christianity and your partisan politics. This one's not important this week. (laughs) And and I'm not a big political guy. Um, Having a heart and a love for your country, I think, to a degree, is is healthy. Knowing where you stand on on certain civic and, and social not just issues, but just realities and laws, is good. Know what's happening in the world. But if your politics somehow perfectly line up with your faith, I'm gonna argue that something is off. And usually when that happens, where I have no issue or no struggle or no stress with either being a Republican or a Democrat or an Independent or Green Party or a Ben Gitsonite, if I have no issue with whatever political party I align with and everything matches and fits, I think your faith is too comfortable because there's aspects in everything, every single one of these and every single one of those political parties that don't line up with the way that Jesus has asked us to live. And I'm not saying voting is not important. I'm not saying politics isn't that important, but when it's as important, there's a problem. And we need to address it. When I'm talking to my family and my friends, even closest friends, even if they're followers of Jesus, and over the last year or four years, the majority of my conversations have been around politics and the presidency or our state more than they've been around Jesus, I think we're too comfortable. You've never had to have a truth in love conversation with a fellow Christian. You've never either had to address a friend that you love and dearly, dearly want to either know Jesus or already knows Jesus and they've either sinned against you, they've done something where they've hurt you or you've done something to hurt someone else but you've never had that conversation where like, man, I see this in your life and I don't, I just, I love you too much not to have a conversation with you about it. I love you too much when I see you continue to go downtown and then you come home or you're asking me to pick up like, we're followers of Jesus. Is this, is this really what God desires for us? Or when someone's come to you, tried to call out something that is in your life, when they're coming to you in grace and in love and you get defensive and you push back and you walk away from the conversation. I think we're too comfortable if I've never had a difficult conversation with someone I love in the church about their sin or my own sin.
no one in your church or even yourself can comment on any growth that you've had in your faith over the past year. All this more so to me tells me is that we (laughs) have become complacent in connecting with community that is the church to help spur one another on to be the people that God has asked us to be. And it doesn't mean that you haven't grown. Get this. It means that you're not connected to community too. So it's not just that you're stagnant in your faith. It's you haven't been a part of a community of people. Our faith is not an individual faith. It is a corporate and communal faith. We do not live this life as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian or disciple by ourselves and alone. And last one, you're a referee, not a player. How to tell if you're comfortable as a Christian. And I wanted to put you sitting on the bench versus getting in the game. But there's sometimes, you know what, you need to sit on the bench. There's some seasons and moments in life where you've been over-serving and you've been over-exerting yourself and you've been working and working and working and working, even in the church or as, a, as a serving. And you need to take a step back and go on IR for a little bit and get some rest and get before the Father and rest in his heart for you. So when I say you're a referee and not a player, it's you pull out that yellow flag every time I say something that you don't like or agree with. It's every time that we listen to a podcast from a pastor or a group of people who love Jesus, a sermon, a scripture that I read, and I pull out that yellow flag, no, flag on that. (laughs) That's wrong. Don't agree with that. Is we start to control how Jesus is asking us to live our life. I think when that happens, we're too comfortable. Again, this is not just an issue that I see in you guys or the church. It's what I see in my heart, in moments in my life. We've allowed Christian to be defined as something to where it doesn't cost us anything. But following Jesus always costs us something. And the thing that it costs us, the thing that we just can't let go of or put down or get rid of, that Jesus is asking us to get rid of, is absolutely, when he's in the charge of it, when he's asking you to let it go, is for your benefit and your good and for his glory. Following Jesus always costs something. Comfortable Christianity leads to complacency, convenience, and control in our obedience and our faithfulness to God. In Judges 2, uh, Jackson, I'm going to start in verse 6. In Judges 2, we see this. We see the Israelites and a group of people who have just entered into the promised land of God. The exodus has happened, the 40 years wandering in the desert, all of a sudden, God had done what he had promised to do. And they entered into the promised land. And then this is what happens. It says, after Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath 
in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gesh. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, meaning after that whole generation had passed, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsake the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshiped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger. So the Israelites enter to the promised land. Their enemies are defeated. The nation is theirs. They get settled into their home. And what do they do? They start serving other gods. Again and again and again, we see this in the book of Judges. They needed to conquer the nations. God came in and conquered. They couldn't do it without him. But once the conquering was over, once the fighting had been done, once God had won, their need for God dissipated and was gone. And I read this, and why did this happen? A generation being passed, the next generation growing, that's my son and my daughter and, and my other son that grew up and it says they didn't know the Lord or what he had done. And that tells me that the Israelites got comfortable. They pursued a convenient life where they could control free from hardship because they didn't need God anymore. They thought they didn't. And their kids grew up not knowing the Lord. That is my biggest fear and something I wrestle with all the time. And it sucks because I don't have control. I don't have control whether my kids know Jesus. And there's something I got to say to you guys. And this is going to be really weird. (laughs) But as your pastor and shepherd, I see you as my children. I really do. I love you with that heart. And it hurts. It's hard. It's really hard, but really great at the same time, where every three and a half years we have new people because you guys all leave. And that's okay. That's not bad. But it hurts. When we see people who have been a part of this ministry for years, who grew up coming every Sunday not knowing Jesus, and I'm not okay with it. And I look at myself and I say, where did I get comfortable? Where did we get comfortable as a ministry and as a church to where we stop desiring the need for Jesus in our life in every aspect? I don't want to be comfortable anymore. I don't want to pursue convenience I don't want to just be free of hardship so I can say I can be free of hardship so I can go home and have an easy life. Because when I see the scriptures and when I see what Jesus has called us to, a heart desperate for God is a life that is absolutely dedicated to him. When I am sold out, if that's the one thing I absolutely desire, then all I want is Jesus. Then all I want is Jesus. He didn't mean for us to live a comfortable, convenient, complacent, controlled life free of hardship. He wants us to throw those things off. And again, as I'm saying this to you, I know I can see and picture things in my life where I've gotten too comfortable. I've gotten too complacent. Because what happens in complacency, like I said, is we get comfortable in how we are obedient to the Father, but we also get comfortable and too convenient in how we love and serve the people that are around us. We make it about if I have the time to do it and not 
about the person that needs Jesus, that needs to be served, that is asking for help. When I'm too comfortable in my faith, I justify and rationalize sin in my life. My morals get compromised. Holiness is not important anymore. And then from there it moves to, well, it's okay if I miss church this week. I'll watch it online or I'll go again next week. And then we enter into literally a slippery slope that we're not going to be able to pull ourselves out of. We need to crawl and cry and fight our way back to Jesus. When I start to get comfortable in one area of my faith, it seeps into every other area. But here's the good news. Because there's always good news with Jesus. Even though following Jesus is inherently uncomfortable, following Jesus leads to a transformed life that experiences joy and suffering, peace in our pain, and abundant life in a world full of death. He made it uncomfortable because he knew the life that we were going to experience. And he said, I'm, I'm asking you to get rid of these things in your life, to get rid of that sin. Because it's not that I just want to stress you out and challenge you and make you uncomfortable. It's the reality that as you approach and as you run into suffering, you'll experience my joy, which comes as you're in my presence. When you experience pain and tears and you can't handle it anymore, as you are devoted to me, what I'm telling you is you will experience and have peace which surpasses all understanding. It's a peace that we can't define or understand. I know in my life I've had more peace in pain when I've been fully committed to Jesus and to what he wants for me. Because an uncomfortable life, which is what Jesus brings us, gives us joy and suffering, peace and pain, and abundant life in a world full of death. It leads us to rely on him and not ourselves, to serve rather than to be served, to live lives marked by sacrifice. It leads to doing hard things, embracing hard truths, and doing life with hard people. And here's why that's important, because I'm a hard person. Ask my wife. (laughs) I can be difficult. And pre-Jesus, in 2006, two people who lived across the dorm from me ran into the reality that I'm a hard person, that I'm difficult to love because I'm selfish. And they saw that and they went back to their youth group. They were freshmen in college just like I was. And they went back into the youth group that they grew up and they said to the youth group, yeah, we got like two guys that we know. Like one of them, his name's Jeff and like he's really nice and he's, he's great, but you know, he needs Jesus. And then there's this other guy. His name is Ben. We don't know if he's gonna come. Literally is what they told him. And they started praying for me. And it was uncomfortable for them at times, I know it was, to be friends with me, to encourage me, to help me. But God was doing in my heart and soul something that they didn't know God was doing. When we throw off uncomfortability, or comfortability and convenience and complacency, our lives start to be marked by sacrifice and service and we're able to serve hard people like I was a hard person because it doesn't come, become about us anymore. It's not how difficult this thing is. It's about what God is asking me to do, what he wants to do in my life and he wants to do in the people of the lives around me. God is asking us 
to be courageous and committed, not comfortable and complacent. Will you be courageous and committed? Will you throw off complacency and comfortability? Knowing that the things that are challenging in this faith to be fully surrendered to God. And that doesn't mean you can't have desires and passions. That doesn't mean you can't have a family and desire kids. It means when you run up to these things and these passions and desires, have you fully surrendered them to Jesus? Have you said, God, I know these are things I want in my life, but if they don't happen, it's okay because you are still God. It's saying, you know what, I'm, instead of saying, I'm going to wait to stop partying until I get after college because I need that experience because I'm in college. It's saying, no, I'm going to be committed to you, Jesus, right now. It's being able to say, no, I'm actually going to be committed and start getting involved in the community of people as a young adult as I start my professional career and not wait for it to get off the ground so that I can be comfortable and convenient, which leads to complacency. Team, you guys can come up as we get ready to close. There are three things I want us to take away from all this. <laughs> three things that I want you to be uncomfortable in. Number one, let's be uncomfortable with our complacency. Let's be uncomfortable with our complacency, and this is what this means. Do you have a desire to grow in your faith? Do you have a desire to become more like Jesus in character and in competency. In character, meaning faith and trust in the fruits of the spirit of joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. And in competency, meaning, you know what, I'm gonna pray. And I'm gonna learn to pray. And I'm gonna grow in what it looks like to be a prayer warrior for my family and friends who don't know Jesus. As Brendan mentioned, you not have a Bible, go get a Bible. And growing doesn't mean that you have to add all these things into your life. Growing means am I, am I pursuing Jesus to the point where my affection and my heart for him has grown a little more this year than it did last year? Maybe last year you never read the Bible. And this year you get a Bible and you read one chapter. To me, that's growth. Maybe it's, you know what, I, I kind of prayed for my friends and my family every so often, like two or three times, I think it's last year. No, I, God, I, I so desire to see you move in their life. I'm gonna start praying for them continuously that they would know you and know your heart, to know your grace, your mercies, which are new every single morning. Let's not settle for anything less. Please do not settle for anything less than what God has laid out for your life as his son and as his daughter. You see, I feel like we can, we can talk about this stuff, even though it is difficult because we are all comfortable. Because behind it is this reality that the God of the universe loves you so much that there's a reason he's challenging different areas and aspects of our life to let go, to surrender, to give to him and say, all right, Jesus, I am yours and yours alone. Be uncomfortable with complacency. Second one, be uncomfortable with convenience. This is, are we practicing repentance and confession in our life? Like I said, when life becomes convenient, I start rationalizing and justifying sin in my life. When it's convenient, it's all of a sudden the thing that I wrestled with becomes a habit. And then the habit that I'm wrestling with, the sin that I've been trying to fight, when it's a habit, it actually becomes normalcy and comfortable. Do we have the practice of recognizing the things that are in our life to confessing to God? Oh, God, I know I've done this. I thank you for your forgiveness. 
and repentance, which is to say to turn, I want to turn and run away from it. Do we have that practice in our life? Be uncomfortable with convenience. The last one, be uncomfortable with control. This life we live, like I've said, is not one we are meant to live alone. Period. Our faith is not just individual, it is communal. It is corporate. We do this together. You cannot be uncomfortable alone. You can't. Do you have people in your life that can speak life into you, that can challenge you? Do you have people in your life you can go to and ask for prayer and ask for help? If you don't, (laughs) ask the people that you came with. What's awesome about this is rarely do we have people who come that come alone. And sometimes we do. And that's not bad. But you came here with people. Are they ones you can love and trust and walk this life with? If you don't have that, that's one aspect of why we, want, why we have small groups. Get connected, sign up, get involved. Let's get out of our comfort zone. Let's crush it and destroy it because life with Jesus is inherently uncomfortable. And he made it uncomfortable because he knows we're gonna experience pain and suffering and frustration and temptation, and death. And he said, in that, as you devote your life to me, as you trust me more and more every day, you will experience joy. You will experience peace. He said, I've come to give you abundant life. I am, <laughs> I am so thankful for each and every one of you more than you'll ever know. And I'm ex- so excited for what is going to happen in your soul and in my soul and in our lives together this semester. But let's not be comfortable in our faith. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray. Over the next, uh, there's going to be a few songs. And as the songs play, and there's going to be a little bit of space for silence, we always have leaders who are ready and available to pray for you. We put them in the back. And because... Jesus' life is inherently uncomfortable. I ask the leaders to stand up here and to stand up front. And those of you on leadership team, if you're willing and desiring to, go ahead and stand on the sides and be ready to pray for people. But we want, and we have these people ready and these leaders ready who love Jesus to pray for you if you need anything. And maybe it's, you've realized, man, I got this area of control in my life and I just need prayer right now. That's why the leaders are here. Maybe you've heard me talk about this whole thing tonight and you are wondering what it means to be a follower of Jesus. To say yes to him for the first time or maybe the 10th. Our leaders are here. They want to come up. They'll answer any question that you have, but ultimately they want to pray for you. And as you got connect cards, what I want for you guys to do is use that to write prayer requests, as Brennan said. But also we're looking at and I desire so much that we as Oasis would be intentional with the reality that we send people out of here and so even though it's hard it's also amazing because we send people to churches and they serve and they get involved and they worship and they disciple and they get discipled if you know that you're leaving at the end of this semester that you're graduating and you're moving on or you're a young adult and getting a new job or you're whatever it is. 
if you know, or even if you don't know, but you might be, will you put your name on a contact card? And would you put your number or email on there? And would you say, I'm leaving? Because we have some opportunities that I think God is asking for us to be a part of that are uncomfortable. Opportunities to be connected with churches that are starting to plant new churches in areas that don't know Jesus. We have churches in in Minneapolis and we know of connections in Omaha. We have connections all around the state that we don't wanna just send you and say goodbye. We wanna send you intentionally and say, hey, partner with these people and get you connected to a, a church and a ministry. But I wanna start the process now and not wait four months before two weeks before you leave. Write it down, give it to us. I wanna connect with you. I wanna help you. I think finishing well is a part of finishing well means getting prepared for what's next in our season of life. And some of you know you're moving on next. And some of you are staying here and I'm super thankful for that. Let's get uncomfortable. Let's be okay with it, knowing it might be hard, but knowing ultimately it leads to our good and God's glory. Father, we thank you for tonight. We are yours, period. Help us and give us and increase our faith to trust you more. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you're gonna continue to do. As we have leaders up here in prayer, even right now, God, those who absolutely need prayer, give them the strength and the courage to come up and ask for prayer. For those who tonight have never given their life to you, Jesus, and want to for the first time, man, would you just, would you just shower them with your love to know your heart for them, that there would be clarity in the reality that Jesus, in and through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, you give us eternal life. But it doesn't just start when we get to heaven and when we die, it starts right now. We love you. We thank you. Be with us as we worship. Let us be not comfortable and convenient of how we worship right now in this moment and how we worship as a response to your love for us for the rest of our life, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen.